This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 21st, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. How might regulators make use of blockchain technology? At the Cato Institute's Conference on Cryptocurrency, I spoke with Chris Giancarlo, a commissioner on the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. We discussed how near instantaneous knowledge of a company's various positions would assist markets, but also might give regulators more room to meddle in private affairs. What do you think is the biggest potential benefit of one of the innovations that uh, Bitcoin has sort of introduced, which is distributed blockchains? Yeah, I, I think it has tremendous benefits for the industry and, and the regulators who oversee the financial service industry. And I'll start with the regulatory element. Um, in 2008, uh, I was a senior executive of one of the world's largest trading platforms for credit default swaps an instrument that some people have said was at the epicenter of the financial crisis. Um, I recall in the, in the middle of September 2008 when uh, there was tremendous panic in the air and there was concern that some of the world's largest banks were on the verge of collapse, receiving a call from a prudential regulator asking about um, trading in um, the, the counterparty credit exposure of a number of key banking names, including Lehman Brothers. And what was clear to me from that is that prudential regulators then had little options other than to call around to broking floors to find out what was happening in the, in the spreads, and, and which is basically a, a, a predictive element as to financial health of a financial institution. Here we are now seven and a half years later in the spring of 2016 and I'm no longer an executive in, in a broking firm. I'm now a U.S. A commissioner of the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And we still don't have full visibility into to the counterparty credit exposure of some of the world's largest institutions. So you mentioned it during your uh, talk here at the Cato Institute uh, earlier at our cryptocurrency conference that uh, we should imagine a world in which the exposures of Lehman and other companies could be revealed in minutes rather than, as you point out, many years. Exactly right. Uh, of all the mandates to come out of the G20 Accords, the Pittsburgh Accords, and Dodd-Frank, probably the most important one was providing regulators with visibility into the counterparty exposures of some of our largest, world's largest financial institutions. And the fact that we, haven't, we don't have that today is probably one of the biggest disappointments. Blockchain distributed ledger technology holds the promise that we may have that cross-asset class, cross-jurisdiction visibility that was missing seven and a half years ago. And therefore, I believe it's, it's essential that we approach distributed ledger technology with a flexible regulatory response that doesn't strangle it uh, in its infancy. What are the risks? I, I know regulators sometimes either out of uh, a broad perception of their own regulatory authority or perhaps fear of being held to account for something they didn't see coming are often urged to uh, overreach or to, to grab a big chunk of regulatory authority. Uh, with respect to the blockchains specifically, what are the biggest risks of regulators trying to jump into something that we should admit many of them don't understand that well? A lack of coordination, I think, is the biggest risk. One of the things that holds back the um, 
the, the market uh, transparency initiative that Dodd-Frank laid out and that was laid out in the G20 Accords, and that is that regulators would come up with a common system for reporting transactions to transaction data repositories. One of the things that's held that back is just a lack of coordination between national and regional regulators on things as simple as what are the data fields that market participants need to fill in in order to report those trades to a regulator. We're still arguing over how to, what date format to use for recording transactions. Well, that, and you know, I'm sure everybody involved in that debate has their good reasons and, I'm, uh, and there's nothing but goodwill on all sides. But coordination is a hard thing to achieve and it requires a lot of leadership, which is why in my remarks today, I pointed back to the situation in the mid-1990s when Congress in 1996 passed the Telecommunications Act and the Clinton administration adopted a framework for, for a global approach to the internet that called for a, quote, first do no harm, first do no harm approach to the internet's development. And that approach has led to enormous development of the internet over the last two decades. It was formative, um, and I think that a similar approach should apply to the development of the blockchain. So I'm thinking back in the 1920s and 30s, uh, rating houses uh, issued ratings on debt of corporations, and in the 1970s, the federal government formalized their use of those ratings in um, the essentially evaluating the creditworthiness of, of various companies. And then they added regulations that were based on essentially these private entities. And now we see a world in which rating houses, you know, haven't performed that well. In the financial crisis, they didn't perform that well. And some would argue that it was essentially the government built a cartel around some uh, groups that were doing their level best to do a good job. How do you avoid that kind of sort of growth of a regulatory apparatus around something like the blockchain? Uh, it's, a, it's, the, it's a complicated thing. I mean, it, it, which is why I think that the example of the internet development is such a shining example of how if regulators coordinate, if regulators adopt a set of principles-based foundational um, tenets into how they're going to approach a new technology, we can get it right. There's also, though, as you point out, plenty of examples where uh, regulators take a restricted view. Uh, in the example of rating agencies, they were restricted to three major rating agencies for a long, long period of time. Um, and if, if regulators take a restrictive view of this new technology, uh, it will not be able to reach its potential. And, and what's interesting is one of those very important potentials is a potential for regulators to achieve one of their core missions, and that is understanding the counterparty credit risk of the financial institutions that underpin our financial markets. So the argument I'm making is that we've got to approach this with the right coordinated do-no-harm approach for, so that we regulators – can get the full benefits of it as well as the benefits that will provide in terms of reducing the complexity and the operational costs and the capital um, concentration that's required by modern financial markets. Does blockchain technology offer an opportunity to reevaluate credit uh, counterparty risk more generally? I know with, with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, there are uh, either you have the coins or you don't. 
and that's just how it is, uh, with the ability to see exposures of counterparties, you know, how does that, how might that change just the nature of the risks associated with doing business with this guy? Right. Well, so, so um, uh, objective number one is let's get the full market and counterparty transparency that blockchain can provide. Once we have that, which we don't have today, we can make policy decisions about what to do about what we're seeing on a much better informed, um, a, a, much, a, a much more thoughtful and, and thought out approach. So, but it starts with let's get the transparency that we don't have today. Let's get that transparency that that um, was clearly one of the missing pieces in the financial crisis. It's clearly one of the objectives of Title VII of the Dodd-Frank Act. Let's get that transparency that this technology can provide us. And then from there, we can make important policy choices. Is part of the fear from the do-no-harm contingent of uh, federal regulators that by providing a great deal more transparency, which is to say providing information to federal regulators, that the incentive, the drive to metal will actually go up? There's always that risk. There's myriad stories of regulators getting issues wrong. Uh, one of the ones that, that I often reflect on is um, a lot of concern over LIBOR, um, a lot of concern over how potential manipulation of LIBOR affected all of our home mortgage calculations. Yet, we don't stop to ask ourselves, why are our home mortgages priced in LIBOR? the London interbank borrowing rate. And that's because um, federal regulators um, after the war set limits on how much interest American banks could pay on dollar deposits. Well, there were no limits in overseas jurisdictions. So dollar holdings overseas were able to earn a higher rate of interest, uh, you might say a true market rate of interest, not an artificially suppressed rate of interest in overseas markets. The, the, the rate by which one bank paid interest to another bank on their overnight deposits in London became a truer calculation of the true rate of, of, of overnight interest payments than in markets in the United States. And that's why the London bank became the preferred rate, basis rate for calculating mortgages. Now, those, those regulations limiting the interest payments were reversed in the 1980s. But as a result, we still use LIBOR. Um, a, a, a benchmark with a lot of challenges to it. So, you know, getting regulations right is a tricky thing to do, but that's why we're here. That's what we've got to do. And we have the shining example of having gotten it right in the Telecommunications Act of 1996 and the Clinton principles for the internet. And those, that's the framework we ought to look to in setting up a framework for the blockchain so we can get this right. Chris Giancarlo is a commissioner on the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Learn more about the risks and benefits of Bitcoin and blockchain technology at our website, cato.org.